the good news of Jesus is something that's holistic. And holistic means that it affects every area of your life. It's holistic. It affects every area. It's so much more than, if you will, going to heaven when you die. <clears throat> That's important. It's very important. We concern ourselves with that a lot. We're concerned about the world around us being with the Lord. But that is not all that there is. It's not following Jesus. The good news of Jesus is not just what I would call fire insurance. Right? Making sure that you don't go to that place and instead are with Him. Christianity, the good news, is more than that. It is salvation that is not just about being with Him. It's holistic in that it affects every area of our life. And I always struggled with that coming up as a, as a Southern Baptist, feeling like, is this all there is? Is just making sure that I know Jesus and I go to heaven when I die. What about the rest of life? What about the, the in-between, you know? Uh, what, what do I do until that time comes? Am I just living to die so I can be with him? What, what about right now? Thank you so much. What is the good news about besides that? And the good news is far-reaching. And what I want to talk about today is that holistic aspect that the good news that we have is that we have purpose and we have meaning. That is huge because we live in a world where, where many don't see meaning, right? We have scientific theories that abound that leave God out of the equation. And answers are often searched for for different things without considering how God fits in to the process. There's no consideration of Him. However, understanding God as our Creator is at the center of it all. It's what brings everything together. It's what makes all the pieces make sense. You can't understand a world that God has created and leave God out. The good news about Jesus is, is it's salvation from our sins, but it's also purpose and meaning. It's about how life works and how it fits together because we know our Creator. I want us to take a look. We're going to start in Psalm 139 today. It's not going to be on the screen, so I want to encourage you to pull out your phones, pull out your, your physical Bibles if you have them, and turn to verse 1 of Psalm 139. This is a really cool psalm because it digs into kind of a little bit of the background. It, it tells us what's, what's happening. It talks about purpose. It talks about Meaning, and so let's look at verse 1. It says, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You, you know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You, you search out my path and my lying down, and, and you're acquainted with all my ways. And, and even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It's, it's high, and I, I cannot obtain to it. 
Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you're there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely darkness will will cover me and, and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. And the night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. One of the first things we see in here in Psalm 139 is that we're not alone. He takes pleasure, God takes pleasure to look into our lives. He says he's intimately acquainted with all our ways, all our steps, all our thoughts. We're not alone. We're not by ourselves. When you consider what Scripture has to say as opposed to what the world has to say, there's a big difference between going through this world knowing that we're not alone, knowing that, our, that we can actually have an intimate relationship with our Creator, knowing that things are, have purpose and meaning, that He's the one who made us. That's huge. We're not alone. We're not random. It's a pretty big deal. And as it goes on, let's look more. It says, For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, and my soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Remember we mentioned last week where we're nothing more than dust. When we look at well, how Adam was created, God says that he scooped together and formed man out of the dust of the ground, and he breathed into his nostrils the what? The breath of life. Your eyes, in verse 16, saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me when as yet there were none of them. Well, first of all, let's stop and pause. First of all, He made us. He's the one that's responsible for us. Again, as we mentioned earlier, there was no random, randomness to this. He shaped us. He formed us. He knew us. That's a huge difference than what we hear in the world. As we continue on, it says this, that <clears throat> again, how precious to me in verse 17, are your thoughts, O God? How vast is the sum of them? If I would, I think I skipped this part. I'm going to go back to 16, excuse me. Your eyes saw my unformed substance, and in your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there were none of them. In advance, God knew what you would go through today. That's hard for us to to comprehend. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I were to count them, they're more than the sand. I awake, and I am still with you. The thoughts, he knows the the days that we go through, the thoughts that he has of us outnumber the grains of the sand. That's a huge personal 
relationship with God. There's a, an understanding, there's a knowledge that he has of us that we may not even have of ourselves. And certainly the days that are yet to come, that he knows what we will face. So we have a God who helps us to, to realize he's in control. He knows what's going to happen. If he already knows our days, who better than him to help us understand our days? Who better to help us understand those days and to understand our purpose in them? You know, we have, a, we have a tendency to try to create our own purpose for ourselves. Are we seek, we, we have this need to, to, to make things happen. We have this need to create our own purpose without considering what God's actual purpose for us is. And you, you know, you've been in all kinds of different circumstances where you've probably used something that was, uh, that was not the purpose for which that item was intended. You ever done this? You had to use something that wasn't created for that purpose, but it got you by, right? One of the things that comes to my mind, and I think I've shared this quite a while ago, when I was in elementary school, we had the use of pens in elementary school, but we didn't use them for what they were intended for. Because when you're in elementary school, you're in school, as you go through the day, you really don't want to be there. You, get, you become creative, okay? And somehow the guys had figured out that they could unscrew these pens that had the, you know, the clicking kind of pens, those good old-fashioned Bic pens. You could unscrew them. Somehow you'd take out a little piece and you'd turn it around and you would, you would have the spring. And you could take out the, the section of the actual pen and kind of load it press down like you would like an old school musket. Is that what I'm trying to say? You know, you shove it in there. And somehow this piece of plastic that was a part of the pen was spring-loaded, and you'd go walking by your desk, and one of your buddies would hit the button and then shoot out this piece of plastic that would smack you in the face. Or worse is that they would take this pen, and they would take their workbook, and they would just slowly start rubbing their pen against the workbook, faster and faster. And of course, if Dennis was here, our resident scientist, if you will, he would tell you that that would be called friction. And enough friction after time creates what? Heat. And so this pen would just be going, they're bored in class, just going back and forth with this pen, tearing up their notebook, waiting for the opportunity for someone to walk by, and then they would take that pen, and they would literally brand you with it. That's not what the pen's purpose is. And in fact, after doing that a couple of times, what happened with that pen was that pen would not only brand you, but then it would explode all over the person that actually probably used it to brand you in the first place. Because what happens, that heat builds up, and the pen just explodes, and ink goes everywhere. That's not the purpose of that pen. You can try to make it that purpose. You can flip things around. You can add heat to it and use it in this way, but that's not what the pen was for. doesn't make sense. That's not what the creator of that pen had intended for it. What is a pen meant for? 
All kinds of things are written with a pen. All kinds of things are, are drawn. Beauty, beautiful artwork is drawn with a pen. Think about what that pen would be in the hands of its creator. What it could be used for. If we would just place ourselves in the hand of our creator. Because in similar ways in our lives, we, 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 we bend things around and our lives are not being used for his purpose. But in the hands of the creator, just think what he could do. There's a difference between trying to create our own purpose and understanding what God's purpose is. As we talk about that this morning, the, the good news of God's purpose and meaning I want you to consider this, that the first thing we should do is to seek His purpose for you. What does He have for you? What does He want you to do? What is your life meant to be in His hands? You know, uh, just to, to look at some passages this morning, in, in Jeremiah 29, 11, you got, those of you, I'm going to call upon you that have your, your speedy phones, we're using the ESV if you have it. I'm going to just ask you to kind of shout some of that stuff out. In Jeremiah 29, 11, though, it's, it's a pretty familiar verse you've probably heard before. And this verse is, is really talking about the nation of Israel, but it still speaks to the heart of God that God has bigger purposes. God has bigger plans, that he has a plan to begin with. And people might even argue that, you know, God's not this guy who's, who's created creation, wound it up, and walked away. He has a purpose. He has a plan. And in Jeremiah 29, 11, he's speaking about his people, and he says, For I know the plans that I have for you, right? Plans to prosper you, plans to give you a hope and a what? A hope and a future. He has plans. That's a good place to start, is to realize that God has them which means that we want to set aside ours and seek his. What is his plan? What is his purpose for you? Let's look at Psalm 138.8. I'm actually still in Psalms, so I've got that in front of me. So flip there, push your buttons to get there. Psalm 138 verse 8 says that the Lord will... Fulfill his purpose for me. Your steadfast love, O Lord, endures forever. Do not forsake the work of your hands. There's a great promise here. The Lord will fulfill his purpose for me. There is a purpose. There is a plan. In Ephesians 2.10, Everyone's quickly punching in the Bible app here. Ephesians 2.10. Mr. Jewel, if you would read that for me, that'd be great. Ephesians 2.10, nice and loud. We're his workmanship, first of all. He's our creator. He made us. We're his workmanship. Read it, read it one more time. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for 
He prepared, he prepared us for him. He gave us these good works, these things to do. Okay, He's given us a purpose, and we're going to look a little bit more at that. But I want you just to understand that we're his workmanship. He does have a purpose for us. Our day-to-day work, as you think about this, is important. Okay, I'm not trying, as we talk about this, to say that you need to reconsider your, your profession, per se. If God moves us around, he can change things up. He certainly can. And those, that day-to-day work is important, but there's, a, there's an overarching, overarching purpose for all of us as well. And it's this, it's this aspect of, and we do it in different ways, but in bringing glory to God. In bringing glory to God. And that's a big difference from sometimes our perspective of, of a self-focus when it comes to what we're doing with our lives. What am I going to do with my life is kind of the perspective at times. And this is a different perspective. It's a perspective on glorifying God. So the first question is, is or the first statement is to seek His purpose for you. To seek His purpose. Have you considered what His purpose is? And I'm sure that you have, but again, as, we, as we've talked in the past, a lot of what we do on Sunday mornings is to be reminded again of what God says. So seeking His purpose for us. But in, but in order to really do that and to follow through with that is we've got to submit to Him as well. We have to submit to what He wants us to do. We have to be willing to follow through with that. Again, if we take our eyes off of ourself, if we take our eyes, excuse me, if we take our eyes off of what is most important, which is God, and we seek to manage our own life, there are repercussions for that. When we're not being used for the purpose to which we were created, life doesn't go right. When things are used for the opposite purpose or not used for the correct purpose, things happen to them. I'm not going to say you're going to explode like the pen, okay? But if our hands aren't, if, if, our, if the pen, if you will, of our lives is not in his hands, things aren't going to go well. So there has to be this aspect of are we willing to seek his purpose? Are we willing to submit to what God wants to do? Let's take a look at Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, verse 25, we, we see this bit of information about anxiety. And if our life is not being lived according to his purpose, anxiety is, is really in many ways just the beginning of our troubles. Matthew six twenty five. Matthew 6, 25, it says what? It says, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life or what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air that neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you of not more value than they? Now, which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour 
to his own span of life. As much as you stress out about it, you really don't have the ability to change the hours in your life, do you? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? O you of little faith, therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the the Gentiles seek after all these things. We have this aspect, again, of people taking things into what? Into their own hands. Stressing out over this, stressing out over that, because they're taking it into their own hands. But it says, Your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But what does he say to do? But seek first what? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. If we're seeking God first, everything, there's this principle that things work out, that things make sense. When we seek his purpose, when we seek what he wants, it makes sense. He says, if I'm going to take care of the birds and all this kind of stuff, first of all, and then he says, you know, don't worry about clothing and food. As small as those things are, if I take care of the birds, I'm going to take care of you. If he can take care of those kind of things, what about the bigger things? He can take care of all of it. I guarantee you, you can probably, I can give you 10 seconds, you can think of something right now that stressed you out. Something right now that you and the, (laughs) Eric, you're not stressed at all, are you, man? (laughs) Or Catherine, right? We worry. And, and why do you worry? Because you know yourself, right? And you think, I've got to make this happen. And I'm looking at my life, and I think, if Lance has to fix this, then I'm really going to be stressed out. Because I realize how little control I have. That's what you're doing when you're worrying, when you're anxious, is you're looking at yourself to fix something, to complete something, and you know instinctively on the inside you don't have the strength, the power, the authority to fix whatever it is, and you're stressed out, and you're worried because what? You can't control it. But there's someone who can, right? The one who knit you, the one who put you together, the one who created this universe and everything that we see, he is in control. We have to submit to the plan maker, the one who knows our days, the one who sees it. We mentioned last week, and I stole what Brad had told me, this guy was telling him about this aspect of God seeing the future, this predestination aspect of things. It's like God being on the top of a tall building overlooking a parade. He sees everything, past, present, and future, and so if he knows what's going to happen tomorrow and the next day, it would be wise to pay attention to him. It would be wise to trust him. Philippians 1.6, somebody read that for me.
he, who's that? Right. He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. Does that take a little bit of the stress off? In Romans 8.28, let's hear that one. Romans 8.28. God works everything out. That's a great promise. Realizing he's in control, realizing that he has plans, he has purposes, that when you, even when we look at something that looks like the biggest mess in front of us, God, God is the one who will work everything together for good. He can take a piece of this and a piece of that and make something beautiful. He can carve a path through something that we never thought could, could get through. He's the guy who can... You know, you ever seen the artwork where these guys take pieces of what we would consider trash and makes this amazing artwork and turns it into treasure? There's parts of our life that are trash, let's be honest. But he can take those things, he can take those moments and, and, and make something beautiful. God is redemptive. God is, can make beautiful things out of stuff that we've messed up. He's the only one that has the power to forgive and to what we, what we just mentioned, and the fancy word for that is redeem. This is a really cool verse that I ran into this week. I want to turn there. And I'm going to encourage you to turn there or punch buttons to get there. I don't know what the right term is for that. Look at the book of Job, not Job. All right? Thank goodness. The book of Job 22. Chapter 22. I'll tell you what verse in a minute. Verse 21. Job 22, 21. This is, I think this is worthy of memorization in particular. It's all worthy of that, but with at least I know in my life, this is what I need to keep in the banks. It says this, agree with God and be at peace. Thereby, good will come to you. Agree with God and be at peace. There, we can understand especially with what's always gone on here for a long time, the whole political kind of scene. It doesn't have to be politics. It can be where are we going to go out to eat. It could be where are we going to do this, do that. There's all kinds of things where there is what? Disagreement. And there's this need to convince the other to agree with you or the other person to convince you to agree with them. And there's this, this back and forth of, you know, we need to come to an agreement, right? Agree with God and be at peace. You don't get God to agree with 
you. It doesn't work that way. So this, to me, is such an amazing passage. Agree with God and be at peace. If we would just agree with God, if we would just agree with His purpose for us, with the things that He says, if we would agree with God, we would be at peace. Agree with God and be at peace, thereby good will come to you. The peace is the biggest part, if you ask me. To agree with God is to have peace. But to agree with God means that good things will come because God is in control, because God knows everything, and because God's purpose is what matters and will not be thwarted. So we need to seek his purpose. We need to submit to him, our plan maker. And, and we're going to wrap this up here. We talked about all of us being called to glorify God. And I want us to, to, to run through a couple of quick passages and we'll be done. Because what we've really been called to do, we, we do things throughout the week and, and we're in different places throughout the week. We have different professions, different things that we're involved in. But as believers in Christ, what all of us are called to do is to shine. His glory. To glorify Christ. And that sounds simple. It sounds maybe overly simplistic, but it's really not, is it? When you think about and you begin to apply that to every day and every moment, Portraying his image, glorifying God, shining is, is not as easy as it sounds. But let's look at Genesis 1.27 real quick. I'm going to call on different. Diane, if you'd get Genesis 1.27 ready, who will take 1 Corinthians 10.31? Madonna, thank you. Uh, Philippians chapter 2, verse 12 through 15. Who will grab that for me? All right, Eric, gotcha. And I'll read the, the last one out of Matthew here, and I'll tell you what that is when we get there. So we're called to shine. We're called to, to glorify him. So let's look at Genesis, first of all. This is very key. It's foundational. In Genesis one twenty seven, Diane, read that. We were created in God's image. Now, we could talk back and forth about what all that means, but essentially being created in his image means that we are image bearers, if you will. Our lives, when people look at us, should point to Christ. They should see the image of God when they look at us. We were created in his image. You know, it's you've seen people like this before where you can tell, well, you know, I can tell without a doubt that that's your son. How do you know? They look so alike, right? You know kids like this? You've seen people like that and you're like, I can tell that's your mother. I can tell that's your father. They look, you know, it's just like Brad. Unbelievable. And Brad's and Beth's like, yeah, I know. I'm sorry. 
supposed to laugh. Okay, so, but we're created in the image of God. We're supposed to look like him. We should be portraying his image, portraying his glory. It should, it should show up in our lives. So we're created in his image. 1 Corinthians 10, 31 Whether you eat, whether you drink, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. And as you go through, and we've heard this verse before, but as you go through your week, what does that look like for you? Where you are, who you're around, who you talk to. Being someone that's created in God's image, that's supposed to look like him, are you glorifying God in everything you say and you do? Is it coming out? Does it, does it show? Okay? Philippians 2, and I, Diana, this is one of her new favorite verses. I should have called on you for this one, but I'm sorry. Eric, go ahead, buddy. Among whom the, the world aptly described in there is awful twisted. It's pretty messed up. But God has placed us here as his image bearers, living for his glory, as lights in a dark place. You were meant to shine. You were meant to glorify God. When people look at your life, when they look at you, they should see Jesus. And we know this instinctively. We know it up here in our head until we get out there many times and we're not shining. We're not acting as God's called us to be. But that's his purpose for us is that we should. That we should be glorifying him. We should be his image bearers. We should be bright lights this passage says lights, and some passage, I believe it says stars. Shining brightly. Now, this passage you've heard a lot, but I want you to look at it again in a fre- with fresh eyes this morning in Matthew 5, and this is our, our last passage, and we'll be done. Matthew 5, 14 through 16. I'll give you a second to turn there. It's good to have it in front of your eyeballs. Jesus is, this is part of his Sermon on the Mount, and he gets to this point and he says this, you, you're the light of the world. Take that in. You're the light of the world. It's a pretty big responsibility. And then he has to say what's next because we have to be reminded of what that means 
what light is for. We think we know what light is for. But why would Jesus say this? He says, you're the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. It wouldn't try to hide itself. You're, you're on a hill. But then he says this, nor do people light a lamp and then put it under a basket. You don't light a, you don't turn on the lights when you get home and then quickly take a blanket and try to cover up the light that you just lit. How dumb is that? Well, why, why'd you turn the light on if you're just going to cover it up? Why, why, why would you do that? Why would you turn on a flashlight and then hide it? Why would you light a candle and then try to, try to cover it up? That doesn't make sense. doesn't make any sense at all. He says, people don't light a lamp and put it under a basket, but what do they do? They put it on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. That's what it's meant for, right? Sometimes you're like me. I went to a, a movie recently with, with Diane, and I'm, and I'm in the theater and, you know, the whole point of a theater is that the, the lights go down so that you can watch the movie. Probably one of the most annoying things, if you're in the theater then, if you're trying to enjoy the movie, is someone else that has their phone on, and it's so bright, the light is, what does the light do? It, 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 it illuminates things. And I find myself trying to figure out this stupid app that I had that had to do with tickets I had to the theater to make things right and trying to kind of cover it up and so I'm not disturbing other people to keep working on this thing and blah, 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 blah. That's not what light's for though, right? The light is to illuminate. The light is to shine. The light is so that things can be seen. It's not meant to be covered. It's not meant to be hidden. And Jesus knows this nature inside of us that, yeah, you're, you're a light bulb, you're a shining light, but there's going to be times in your life where you just try to cover it up. But that's not your purpose. The purpose for you as a light bulb is to shine. The purpose of you as a lamp is to shine brightly. You're set on a hill for a reason. Your life as a believer in Christ is to shine brightly for him so that people see and know who Jesus is. You're an, you're an image bearer. For Christ. Light is meant to illuminate darkness. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works. The good works is part of the shining. And give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Do you see the purpose here? When, when, when you look at your life over the past week, what, is, what has it been like? Has it been a pen that's been used to, to write down amazing things, or has it been a pen that's been used to brand people, to shoot out parts of the pen? Has it, has it been abused 
How is your life being used? Is it being used according to the purpose for God that he created it? Or is it being abused? Are you, are you shining brightly or are you throwing a blanket over it? And it's not that, and, and it happens at times where we kind of cover ourselves up because there are moments we're ashamed. We don't want to shine brightly because we don't want to deal with what other people might say because you're a believer. But other times we're, we're putting a shade on it and we're covering it up by, by not being an image bearer, by using the pen, if you will, for the, the purpose that it's not created for. People are confused. Lamps are supposed to bring light. It's my prayer this morning that, that we understand the good news that, first of all, as we were talking, that we're not alone. We were created by the God in heaven who made us, who made everything that we see, but that we would also grab hold of the purpose that he's given us that we would shine brightly, that we would be a city on a hill. May we live according to the purpose that he's created us for. Would you stand with me? Let's pray. Lord, we, um, you've made us to be light bearers. You've made us to be image bearers. Lord, we pray that you would shine brightly in our lives. I pray, Lord, that we would embrace that purpose, Lord, to glorify you. Lord, that we would realize that our life is about you and not about ourselves. Lord, Let us shine brightly. Let us glorify you. Lord, if there's any attitude, if there's anything in our life, if you will, that, that keeps us from being that way, Lord, we pray that you would remove it, that you would cleanse us from it, Lord, that you would help us to, to be the people you've called us to be. Help us to claim and grab a hold of that purpose you have for us to shine. It's very fulfilling to, to do what you've called us to. Lord, we love you. We're thankful, Lord, so much for all that you've done for us. Lord, help us to shine brightly for you. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said, amen.